Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, uh, tonight we preview the Ohio State Buckeyes, a team we know well from last year in the Big Ten Championship. Um, you know, obviously we could go back and, and rehash all that. But do we really know them that well? I mean, they had some turnover, most notably at head coach, uh, Urban Meyer out, Ryan Day in. I mean, sure, Day was interim for a few games at the beginning of the season, but, you know, Ohio State's beginning of the season has never been considered, you know, hard at all. Um, so Ryan Day takes over. Uh, they got a lot, a bunch of changes. Um, John, defensively, talk, talk to me. They're, they're going to be hoping for more changes. Let's put it that way. Uh, sweet Jesus, talk about a regression. What in the holy heck happened to Ohio State's defense last year? Uh, basically, what happened was this. So last season, in our Ohio State preview, we spent 90% of the time talking about how ridiculously stacked with talent Ohio State was and about 10% of the time talking about the thing that was apparently much more important. In 2017, Ohio State fielded basically the second-best defense in the Big Ten for all but two games. In those other two games, Ohio State sucked. So in our preview prior to 2018, we did pay a little lip service to the fact that the Ohio State D and its loads of future NFL guys needed to play like they were supposed to for 12 regular season games, not 10. In 2018, Ohio State chose door number two. (laughs) A team with more five-star players than should be fair asked itself, what if 2017 Oklahoma and 2017 Iowa accept every game? This was the number 10 scoring defense in the conference, the number 11 pass defense in the conference. And I don't want to hear anything about Ohio State is playing track meet football on offense, so they're going to give up more points too. Do you know how much flipping talent is on this defense? Yes, Nick Bosa got hurt. But this was supposed to be one of the best defensive lines in the country. And on the surface, linemen Chase Young and Draymond Jones still combined for 19 sacks, which is awesome. Except that no one else in the front seven, linebacker or lineman, did much of anything to generate a pass rush. Which doesn't exactly bode well, since Bosa and Jones are both gone now. So Ohio State is going to roll out the exact same trio of linebackers this year that they did last year. Tough Borland, Malik Harrison, and Pete Werner were all big-time recruits. But the reality is that at Ohio State, 25 tackles for loss and and 8.5 sacks looks incredible for one guy, pretty darn good for two guys, and just okay when it's shared between three guys. When you add in the fact that these three guys combined for 200 tackles, you get a unit that's getting a lot of shine out of those scarlet and gray unis. But it's playing much more like a trio, honestly, that you'd see at Minnesota or even Purdue. So you can take this sentiment and you can roll it right over into the secondary. The whole unit is eight deep with five-star and four-star players. And guys like Jordan Fuller are pegged as future high NFL draft picks. 
But what exactly was so great about Fuller's performance last year? 81 tackles and a pick? Four pass breakups? Sean Wade and Jeffrey Akuto were both monster corner recruits, and they're both young, and they were both decent last year. But do you remember at any point in the Big Ten Championship feeling like Northwestern couldn't throw the ball on this team? Well, no one else in the Big Ten does either. This team had 11 total interceptions last year. 11. So, to say that the return per recruiting star was low in the secondary would be putting it very mildly. Wade and Akuda are your presumed starting corners, pretty much by default, because all the other monster recruit corners played lousy football last year. If you want, like... So Kendall Sheffield pretty much sums up Ohio State's defense last year because he was drafted in the fourth round by the Falcons pretty much based on raw speed after he basically sleepwalked through the 2018 season. That's pretty much Ohio State's defense last year. So what can we say going into 2019? Well, first of all, this defense almost has to improve to the mean, at least a little bit. The three of us could coach a defense with this much more talent than almost every other unit in the conference to at least a middle-of-the-road performance. And on paper, Ohio State reloads with mega talent at every open position. Um, Defensive line true freshman monster recruit and former Northwestern target Zach Harrison, just one example of many guys who are going to get a chance to stand out here. Obviously, uh, this unit mirrored the volatility of Urban Meyer's final year, um, and they ought to find some stability under Ryan Day. And uh, and we talked about him in the Michigan preview. Michigan turncoats Greg Madison and Al Washington, who are over uh, to, to add to the coaching staff. But there's a huge performance vacuum here. Barring some coaching miracle, the linebackers are going to be good but not great again. And they're going to be of no help getting to the quarterback. And Ohio State's going to have to find minimum three guys other than Young in the front seven who can get sacks. Otherwise, everyone's just going to throw on this team again. There should be like 10 guys on this roster who can fill that job. But just about all of those guys were here last year too, and they neither got sacks nor kept opposing running backs from rushing for well over four yards a carry. This defense is going to be better. But in a year when there seems to be this clear upper echelon of the best defenses in the conference, Ohio State and its bucket loads of recruiting stars are going to be on the outside looking in. So, Scuzz, offensively, um, obviously Dwayne Haskins gone. Uh, In comes Justin Fields, presumably. I mean... The, at Big Ten Media Day, Ryan Day was playing the same, uh, we're not naming a starter nonsense that, uh, Fitz was doing. So it's not official, but it, it's going to be fields, right? I would believe so. Um, and if it's not, they've got like two other transfer QBs that, that may come in behind him. They have, they have no QBs that have been there <laughs> for, <laughs> for a long time. Um, not, not necessarily an impediment. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Gunnar Hoke, uh, who transferred from Kentucky, from Kentucky and Chris Chuganov, who transferred from Virginia. If you've never heard of these guys, there's a reason why. So I'm going to be honest. I, I have no idea what to expect from, from this offense this year. Um, 
Urban Meyer's offenses, be it at Florida, Utah, or Bowling Green, have always been fantastic. They have also always been predicated on really strong running backs and dual-threat QBs running spread concepts and just killing you with deliberate repetition and blazing speed. But last year, Ohio State ranked only 7th in the conference in rushing per game. This was the only year of Meyer's entire tenure where the Buckeyes ran for less than 240 yards per game. It is also the only time that they eclipsed 300, let alone 350 yards passing per game. 70% completion rate and 50, yes, 50 touchdowns. In retrospect, Dwayne Haskins had not only an incredible year, but possibly the greatest year of any Ohio State quarterback ever. And this is why I think there's an 8,000-pound elephant in the quarterback room for me. Because Justin Fields and these two other random transfer dudes are trying to step in and replace that. And what we really don't know, and this is what fascinates me, and I apologize because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole here. What propagated the change last year at Ohio State? It certainly was not a lack of running talent. We all saw J.K. Dobbins the year before and thought, oh boy. He, he averaged over seven yards per carry his freshman year. Uh, it wasn't a sudden influx of uh, talented receivers that caused them to, to shift gears from, from the running game to the passing game. Those dudes were all there the year before. It wasn't the O-line either. The general consensus is that without a gifted runner at QB for the first time since 2007 when they had Todd Beckman, the Buckeyes abandoned much of their RPO playbook in favor of more traditional downhill blocking. Now, it's possible that the O-line was struggling to block the RPO concepts. I think it's probably more likely that the QB just wasn't a running threat. And as we all know, Urban Meyer uh, and Ryan Day, to a certain extent, really liked to run their QB into the ground, particularly when that QB was, was JK, uh, JT Barrett. So surprising or not, this resulted in the best downfield passing attack we've seen in Columbus since like the short Cardell Jones window in 2015, but I can't even think of when before that. Maybe Joe Germain. The three best, re- the three top receivers averaged over 15 yards per catch. Haskins was above y- nine yards per attempt for the year. That's absurd. So going back to my 8,000 pound quandary, the question for me is who engineered the change? Was it Meyer, knowing that running Haskins a trillion times would just ruin a good thing and leave him with, you know, a totally untested Tate Martell? Was it OC Kevin Wilson, reaching back into his Oklahoma days when he destroyed college football with the most immobile of QBs, Jason White? Or was it newly minted head coach Ryan Day, who, being given those interim coach duties while Meyer was suspended during fall camp, who implemented this switch uh, based on either what he wants to do with the offense or what he saw out of Haskins or some other factor. If it was Day in his interim role, I think that portends that he can absolutely step into this coach, this head coach role and carry the Buckeye tradition forward. It might take a season or two, but still, they're going to be really, really good under his tutelage. But what makes this fascinating, is let, let's, let's pretend it was Meyer who made this change. Because now, after Meyer's retirement, he's gone. The Buckeyes are going back to the bread and butter of Urban Meyer's entire career with a QB that so perfectly fits the mold. It's it's the ultimate irony. So Justin Fields, this is who I'm talking about. He has absurd bona fides. He does not have much in the way of experience. Uh, and like I mentioned before, there's there's two other transfer QBs manning the Ohio State QB room this year. It's 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 a concern. Uh, Fields is not going to come close to JT Barrett numbers in my mind passing, let alone approaching Haskins numbers from last year. 
Sure, he's got some stats from Georgia, but they are all versus Austin, PA, UMass, and Vanderbilt. Do not believe the stats coming from Georgia. It would be a shock if the offense took the field and looked like last year's version. I think they are going to go hard on RPOs. I think they're going to lean very heavily on the return of running back J.K. Dobbins, and they hope that Fields has enough sizzle to just torch folks when he needs to, whether it be with his legs or his arm. There's a big question also about his leadership and maturity. Um, I recently enjoyed uh, some anecdotes on the Shutdown Fullcast podcast where they talked about how he got into a Twitter and Instagram war that that was ultimately behind driving Tate Martell uh, to transfer to Miami. What's funny is that, so, you know, Dobbins is great. They have other running backs in the room. They, they always have a lot of strong players there. They are stacked at wideout. And they're barely going to use those guys last this year. They lost three of their top four from last year, including Paris Campbell. But K.J. Hill can step right into that number one role. And Austin Mack, Benjamin Victor, and the tight end, Luke Farrell, are all phenomenal players. Victor is a guy I've mentioned for three years now. Is he's the only real returning deep threat. And but the thing is, like, with the combination of, of this focus on the run game, the return to RPOs, I think uh, Fields, use, Fields Youth, and a whole lot of six-foot-zero burners, uh, I think that means this team is not going to be able to stretch the field vertically this year. Now, if Day and Wilson are able to, you know, dramatically improve field's passing, you know, then then all bets are off, right? He's going to have phenomenal targets, and this offense could really become dynamic. The other potentially limiting factor is the O-line. They lose four starters. Oh, but they do gain a grad transfer from Rutgers, so they have that going for them. <laughs> <laughs> that, if they're taking a grad transfer from Rutgers, that I feel like is even a bigger indicator than turning over four starters. It's, it's not great, Bob. Um, I, you know, they, they reload on offense, uh, on offensive line almost every year. Um, but they're going to be, and they're going to be starting an upperclassman uh, and a dynamic. Uh, a, a, they're going to be starting an awesome upperclassman at center. But last year, their offensive line didn't miss a single start. And even without missing a single start, they were not great in in advanced stats. Their power success rate and their passing down line yards, they were straight up bad, like below 100th in college football. Their standard down line yards and stuff rate, they were like in the 60s, like middle of the pack. The only thing they were good at was sack rate. And anybody who watched the Big Ten Championship game knows that that was probably a lot more about Haskins and not the O-line. So they're, factor all that in, they're almost guaranteed to lose someone to injury this year. And maybe the move back to the RPO offense could help them find the rhythm in both pass and run blocking, but I'm questioning if they can even get back to last year's poor offensive line production. I mean, in the end, I, I think this Buckeye offense is going to look much like the early Urban Meyer years did. They're going to slow the ball down. They're going to be, you know, the, the, the slow clap at QB, and then you're going to see fields taken off a lot. You're going to see them giving the ball to Dobbins a lot. Dobbins, his freshman year, averaged seven yards per carry. Last year, it dropped to four. 4.2 yards per carry from an Ohio State quarterback, an Ohio State running back that averaged seven the year before, with an absolute gunslinger at quarterback giving defenses nightmares. I think this offensive line continues to struggle, and I think teams should be able to force fields into obvious passing situations. And then you have a real shot of slowing this offense down. And if you think about Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, maybe us, unless Ryan Day is really a savant and turns this QB 
into a passing phenom, I think this offense is in trouble and is one-dimensional. And yet, I mean, like, we'll, we'll, so we'll go through the schedule. And, you know, just even with all of these red flags, they still have so much talent on paper, at least. Um, oh, it's absurd. But uh, let, let, let's run through the schedule real quick. They open the season against Florida Atlantic, then Cincinnati, then they're at Indiana, home for Miami, Ohio, at Nebraska, home for Michigan State, then their bye week. Uh, they head to Northwestern October 18th, Friday night. Uh, already start, starting to circle that on my calendar, I, I tell you what. Um, so coming off a bye, they're, they're coming to town. Uh, then Wisconsin in, uh, they, then they play Wisconsin in Columbus. Uh, then they get another bye week. Then Maryland at Rutgers, Penn State at Michigan. So I know I just talked about this offense a lot. Can I, to your talent comment, Sammy? Yeah. As we're about to discuss this this pretty difficult schedule, at least in conference. Last year's starting O-line, who again, did not miss a start. These were like the relative ratings of each of these guys in their position group when they were recruited. 84th, 12th, 17th, 13th, 60th. This year's projected starting five. Second, pretty good. Like I said, their center is really good. 280th, 75th, 142nd, 60th. There is a drop-off in talent in this offensive line, plus they're turning over four starters, plus they're going to have injuries. My God, boys. I'm, like, I think the, the, the metaphor that I'm kind of leaning toward when I look at this schedule is this team is the bear to go, to go with swingers. If this team, this team is the bear that is going to try to bat the rabbit around. And one of these rabbits is going to poke that bear's eye out. And I just feel like this team is like, there's so much talent at so many positions, but there's this defense that just sucked last year that's loaded with talent that are they going to try to kind of try to get it together? Well, to Scus's point, what if Justin Fields can't throw well? And what if the line doesn't block well? And what if the defense doesn't? And this team loaded with all this talent is like, I'm going to bat at the, the bear. And then like Cincinnati, where literally every guy on that team is just filled with hate for Ohio state are like, well, screw you then. We're just going to, we're just going to take this. Right. Um, the other thing that jumps out at me too is, and this should jump out to all of you listening right now. The number one hardest game on Ohio State's schedule with a bullet is that November 30th game at Michigan. Number two is at Northwestern. It just is. They get Michigan state at home. They get Penn State at home. They're on the road to Northwestern. And if you think that Northwestern isn't going to be a harder game than Penn State and Michigan State, I don't know what to tell you. That's Ohio State's. Like you're talking about, Sammy, you're circling that game. Ohio State's circling that game too. They're not stupid. They know that probably the most complete team on their schedule, aside from Michigan, is Northwestern. And they're at both of those two games. Um 
The other game that I just could see turning into this absolute cluster 43-40 nut job game is at Nebraska. Um, <laughs> there's a real chance that game will be defense optional. Uh, Ooh, and... I, I think the Indiana game is more likely to land in that space. Yeah, I mean, again, it's like we're, you know, we're going to be doing Indiana soon, but I know it's like, it's, the, the scary thing is Indiana did not have a bad, I mean, Indiana did not have a good defense last year. They were basically bad, and they are basically what Ohio State rolled out on defense last year. Like, again, it's like, you can look at, right, the Michigan coaches coming in, and all the talent, and what they dealt with last year, and be like, okay, they're going to figure it out. But this takes me back to the whole, like, batting of the bunny thing. Like, don't butt, like, that bunny might be the bunny from Monty Python and the Holy Grail that's just going to, like, go crazy at you. Like, this team is going to come out and think that they have a rolling start to this schedule, right? That up until Michigan State, they don't really play a strong defense. And, you know, like I said, it's like if Justin Fields comes out and just decides to just not look great, and then their line doesn't show up, it's not like their defense is going to carry this team. I know, like... They're not. They're looking at a weak first five games, like they are. But still, like this is a team that's. God, I mean, they're going to be trying to find their way here, and I, I would take nothing for granted. What What do you make of Ryan Day? I mean, we we don't know much about him. Um, again, like last season, the first three games were all just, you know, Oregon State, Rutgers. Well, I guess TCU. Um, he so he handled that though as well as anyone possibly could have. And despite my inner musings and hope that it was Meyer who changed their offense last year because he saw what he had at Haskins, that I mean that's out of character for Urban Meyer. It's it's probably more plausible that with Meyer so distracted and then literally out of the picture for much of fall camp, all of fall camp, really that Ryan day was given, given keys to the kingdom in the way he hadn't been before and designed the offense in his image. Like there's something to be said about how well, that team did under him and, and yeah Sammy to your point the competition wasn't great but then they were you know pretty darn good during the season too I, I at the same time how can he possibly fill the void in the vacuum that will be Urban Meyer's legacy who by the way is still walking around the halls of Columbus uh, in the athletic department right well I mean theoretically he didn't he get uh, didn't he do any TV no, he's an asso- he's like a, a an associate athletic director or something. Yeah, I I didn't, come on that that's I'll, that's not a figure ahead. I don't know I if mean, he's if he's there. That's a problem, right? I'll I'll say this. So going well, actually, that, actually, if he's there and it, it is becoming a problem, then that in and itself is a problem because now you've got uh, you know if he's interfering with what Day is trying to do. That could be, you know, even more kind of chaos. Well, I mean, that's that's been happening at Wisconsin for what two decades. 
Uh, he is. You're right, Sammy. He is going to be on TV. He's going to be on Fox. So maybe that. Maybe that chills it out a little bit. I don't know. But but regardless, like the the vacuum, like the leadership vacuum. You know, there are guys here that that were recruited by Meyer and and play their guts out for Meyer. And now there's a new voice in the room, and Day's a different guy. Like he doesn't he doesn't have the the larger I mean who would right have the larger than life personality that that Urban Meyer had during his tenure at Ohio State like I'll say this too like it's it is there is a potential for a little bit of a tipping point here and I think again none of us knew what was you know the tire fire that was going to be going on in Ohio State's defense last year no one could have seen that coming but my feeling going into last season is I didn't know a heck of a lot, you know, like Dwayne Haskins, like I certainly wasn't predicting that kind of season out of him. Right. But I think I felt, and, and I think a lot of people felt that even though they had to replace JT Barrett, right. That as long as they got competent quarterback play, um, they, they'd still be Ohio state because they were so stocked and the defense was going to be unbelievable. And like you said, JK Dobbins was coming off this great season and they have so much talent and the line and blah, blah, blah. And I think going into this season, if Justin Fields isn't good, they're in big trouble. Like they need him to be really good at football. Now he's supposed to be right. He's supposed to be the man. But it's not like last year. Like, if, like, Michigan State, Northwestern, Penn State, Michigan, and even Wisconsin, they need him to be good in those games. If he's not, it's not like there's something else. Like, can you imagine the offensive line Scuzz has described to you lining up across from Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, or Northwestern's defensive line? Like, that's a serious mismatch in all four of those games. And I could even throw in Wisconsin where it's just a thousand pounds of linemen down linemen there. I mean, it's like no one's going to do those guys any favors in those five games. And I don't see Ohio state somehow just being able to generate this dynamic run game against those five teams. Scuzz's point, like they're stacked at receiver and we're wondering to what extent those receivers are even going to be involved. Well, they're going to have to be involved in a big way. Ohio State's not producing points some other way in those five games. Like Fields is going to have to throw like, you know, offensive changes be darned. Um, And I just think, again, it's totally possible that he may do that. And I think the expectations for him are even higher than they were for Haskins coming into last season. But I think Ohio State's going to be leaning on him in a way that Ohio State was not planning on leaning on Haskins last year. The other the other X factor in the opposite direction is Kevin Wilson. And when the Buckeyes hired him, we were we were all just like despondent. Uh, and I mean, maybe not despondent, but just like, oh, man, like this is not fair. It's, that's like Brent Venables continuing to work at Clemson. It's just not fair. And they were co-OCs last year, so... You know, like you just don't know what was going on in that in that room and who was doing what, and and maybe Day is the type of guy who's super comfortable saying, "Yep, KW, you got this. Uh, you've been an amazing offensive coordinator in college. Everywhere you've been, like, have at it." And 
they'll figure it out and they'll be fine. But the the maturity stuff of feels like granted Jake Fromm is an incredible talent at at Georgia, but any like the couple times we saw Fields get on the field, it, did, it didn't go well in big games. Um, I yeah, I mean, I, I just I've, don't know. I've been I've been thinking like you know everyone. Like, do we know that Justin Fields is good? I mean, he's he is, but is he that good? Uh, that's the thing, right? I mean, it's it's he's supposed to be amazing, and he was this monster recruit. And again, like I said, maybe he ends up being great. But considering all the recruiting talent Ohio State has on both sides, why does it feel like he has to be great? Like. If he's not good, this team is losing three games at least this year. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. I, I'm kind of going back to the schedule, and obviously we've previewed some of these teams now, um, and those previews are up for, for anyone to listen to, and, and you know, we're going to have the rest of them up soon. But you look at their three teams that are just have to be massive worries for the Buckeyes. Michigan, Northwestern, and Wisconsin. Um, And those are teams that are pretty set in what they do. Michigan is the big leader in terms of of going at them. Um, And Northwestern, again, we're going to go into that, obviously, much more detailed down the road in our Northwestern preview and, of course, game week ahead of the Ohio State game. But I think we're pretty dynamic and complete on in a lot of areas. And, you know, on offense, you might talk, well, yes, we have a question mark with Hunter Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. Again, this offense wasn't very good. I mean, this defense wasn't very good last year. And we did very well against it uh, in the Big Ten championship game. And Wisconsin, for all the talk we talked about Wisconsin and how many problems they are going to have, Wisconsin can do two things play solid, if not amazing, defense this coming year and run the ball. And guess what? Ohio State's looking... I mean, uh, Wisconsin is looking at all of these run defenses that are going to neutralize what they can do. Ohio State is not one of those teams. Wisconsin can come out and do a pretty good job neutralizing what Ohio State's going to do on offense, and Wisconsin can totally jam the ball down Ohio State's throat on the ground. This is the one team that is a marquee opponent for Wisconsin that they can definitely bludgeon on the ground with Jonathan Taylor. And again, it's like, it's it's going to be such a rodeo for this team. I mean, in theory, could they be the best or the, the, the most complete or the second most complete team in the conference? Sure. But man, a lot of things have to click for that to happen. Yeah, I was just about to ask, um, the ceiling for Ohio State is, you know, all has oft been, you know, since the national championship game, uh, since the playoff was put into existence, you know, the ceiling has always been the playoff. Is that their ceiling this year or is it a little bit lower? Boy, I mean, Michigan's flat better than this team. I mean, they totally are. And. You know, if they if the, if unless Harbaugh blows it, Ohio State's gonna should be the legit underdog in that game. So in that case, you know, I would say that their cap is not playoff this year. Their cap is eleven wins. Could they run the table? Sure, man, that would be a miracle though. 
with this offensive line and the problems that they have on defense. So I don't know. I I mean, it, technically, it still is. They could totally win every game. They have as much talent as every team on the schedule, except maybe Michigan. But I don't know. I I think there's too many things stacked up here. I th- I think their ceiling is um is 11 wins, one loss, and unlike in years past, they do not have a marquee non-conference opponent to help make up for that one loss. So I I don't I don't think Ohio State can get it done this year. Can we just for the fun of it, just because we all hate Ohio State, let's try to map out a doomsday scenario here, right? Uh, let's say Ohio State. <laughs> let's say Ohio State starts four and zero. Then they go to Lincoln, and this defense that has just been coasting without gelling for the first month. Adrian Martinez throws for four hundred yards. No, no. Uh, well, nary, you, go, you go ahead. I'm going to take a different tack. Nary a nary a down of defense is played, and Nebraska wins like fifty to forty five or something, right? They roll into next week, Michigan State, that, like, they just, Justin Fields decides to throw three interceptions, they run for 20 yards, and they lose that one. Uh, They take a fat L against Northwestern. I'm just, it's funny, I only do this because, do I think they're going to lose all of these games? No, I don't. But, are there scenarios where they could lose to Nebraska, Michigan State, Northwestern, Wisconsin, Penn State, and Michigan? You bet your ass there are. Those are all losable games for this team. Um, Similar outcome, but slightly different uh, different setup. Um, I, I think it's Indiana that that jumps out of the corn and scares the hell out of this team and and maybe knocks them off. So let's say Indiana has just a miracle win in week three. I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a home game for Indiana and Ohio state, you know, has dropped a road game to an unranked team the past couple years. Indiana has played Ohio state well for like the first two to three quarters for as many years as I can remember. And then they just fall all to pieces but that's like to, like to me that's one of the critical ingredients here is that Ohio State's not going to be paying attention to that. They're not worried about Indiana. And Kevin Wilson's probably going to continue to make them not worry about Indiana, right? Like I can only imagine what he says about the Indiana Hoosiers behind closed doors. The Nebraska game is like as as much as we enjoy the plight of the Cornhuskers. Um a game at Lincoln with these two storied programs. Like there's going to be too much hype around it for Ohio state to not pay attention. It could still be like a nail biter, certainly with, with defense optional. Like you're right, John on that, on that front. But I, I think Ohio state is more like much like Iowa last year where they just come out and they're maybe not taking it seriously enough. And Oh God, Justin Fields just threw two pick sixes and you know, Peyton Ramsey and Michael Penix are, are, just dropping bombs and all of a sudden they're down 25 points and can't run to get back in the game. I don't know. Um, but then, and then I, then of, you know, coming off of, of a nail biting win at Nebraska, they get thumped by Michigan state beat by Northwestern. I think they beat Wisconsin. I, I, I'm not concerned about that there. I, I think you need to have a pretty good quarterback to beat Ohio state. And then, um, you know, Penn state seems like a real potential problem as well. So, uh, and of course Michigan, but I like, 
I don't think the doomsday scenario is going to happen. They're too, they're too good for that. Ryan day has proved that he's a decent coach. Um, not on the order of urban Meyer, but like would I believe eight and four this year. Absolutely. I would. Yeah. I, you know, I, I still feel like I, I'm going to round high and obviously, you know, we're talking about all the uncertainties with Justin Fields, obviously, given that we're in a very similar situation with Hunter Johnson, we don't want to seem like we're painting things one way for Ohio state and another way for Northwestern fields might just be awesome. Uh, and if he does, that's going to be a huge thing. My point earlier was only just that they need him to be at least good. Like they can't have him not be good and expect to win a bunch of te- uh, games, giving them the benefit of the doubt though. I'll say 10 and two. Um, yeah. That's, that's where I'm landing as well. Yeah, I feel like this team gets it together enough. Um, but I'll tell you, if you ask me where those two losses are going to come from, I don't even blink. It's Michigan and that road game at Northwestern. There's not a more likely chance for loss number two than that game. Um, there are other possibilities, but better believe those are the two most likely places Ohio State drops a game. Well, let's go ahead and leave it there for the Buckeyes tonight. Um, head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates. And you can always email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.